Galileo said the great book of nature can be read only by those who know the language in which it's written, and the language is mathematics. Uh, please forgive me if I'm not completely fluent in this language right now, but 30 years ago when I was doing theoretical physics, I could get by with uh, partial differential equations and Calabi-Yau manifolds. But um, if there is one thing that ruins your math skills is the career in finance. So I... <laughs> so we have today uh, five of the world's outstanding mathematicians and uh, the inaugural winners of the Breakthrough Prize in Mathematics. They will also form the committee for, uh, to select future winners in subsequent years. Um, so I, I wanted really, just given uh, everything that I just said, I wanted to have a little bit of a philosophical discussion, at least that's the one I can maintain. And uh, I wanted to ask the first question to uh, all of you, uh, which is the following. Is the mathematical world invented or discovered? And I can re rephrase it by saying, if we were visited by aliens, would you expect their mathematics to be similar to ours? So you want to go first? <laughs> no. Uh. <laughs> well, certainly when I do mathematics, I have the very strong sense that I'm discovering something, not inventing it. Uh, certainly in my field, we suspect what's true long before we are able to prove it through heuristic or experimental um, endeavors. And I have the strong sense of something out there, I've just got to find my path through it. Um, I think it's very likely that it, it... How could an alien civilization not have the same mathematics? They need to count. Counting is a basic operation. It can't be any different anywhere in the universe. Measuring is a basic operation. Anywhere in the universe you'd have to measure time, measure space. So I strongly suspect that, that mathematics might be one of the few common languages we have if there are civilizations elsewhere in the, in the universe. Uh, one of the few or the only one? So is the only one? Maybe physics would be the same. Phys physical laws seem to be the same everywhere. Biology could well be different. I, you could imagine that it would be entirely different somewhere else in the universe. Terence? Uh, well, I think mathematical theories, uh, at least on the surface, they are invented, you know, they're human constructs. But as we drill down and we discover deep, deep facts, deep phenomena, um, as, as Richard said, you know, there's a sense that you know, they're not coming just from our formalism, but they're, they're really reflecting some, something real. Um, and, and as we drill deeper, often our language improves to approximate this, this reality. So we, we don't, uh, maybe initially um, it's invented, but eventually I think we are doing discovery. Um, I would, I mean, that would, that would be fantastic if we could ever contact an alien civilization and <laughs> compare our textbooks. This would be wonderful. No, uh, habitable planets is it known? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, maybe, maybe in our lifetime. Um, well, you know, I mean, even in our history, you know, like Pythagoras' theorem was discovered independently in, you know, by the Chinese, Babylonians, and, and, and the, the Greeks. You know, so I mean, there are mathematical facts that that uh, that we were independently discovered. Although the Greeks were the ones who actually um, uh, actually try to prove it. Um, so maybe, um, you know, there are some things which maybe we can do better than the aliens, we don't know. Yeah. We don't know, maybe the other civilizations proved it and we just have no record. <laughs> yes. 
So I would agree on the first question that uh, I feel as a mathematician like mathematics is something that is out there to be discovered. On the second question, I think I would disagree a little bit. I think some of the things that mathematics chooses to focus on are highly dependent on the way that the human mind works. So for example, the continuum of real numbers, that's something which is of major interest in mathematics. And it's very natural from a mathematical point of view, but probably a lot of our interest in it comes from the fact that it matches with our experience of space and motion and so forth. And uh, our, in the, especially in the subjects of geometry and topology, I think uh, to some extent the successes that we've had in thinking about these things come from our geometric intuition. And that geometric intuition is, comes from our uh, mental faculties for navigating the world repurposed to some understand abstract mathematics. And if somehow we had much stronger mental faculties like that or much weaker mental faculties like that, then I could imagine our mathematics would look different. I heard a theorize that the ancient Greeks, they were good at geometry because they needed it to, to navigate the mountains and, and uh, the sort of terrain. And similarly, the British were good at spherical trigonometry for similar reasons. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. yeah, and about this inventor to discover, I have not so rosy a view of mathematics. Of course, a really good mathematics is discovered, but a lot of most mathematics invented should be forgotten. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah. And about aliens, yeah, I think it's, I agree with Jacob, says it's really heavily de depends on our physiology and it's, it's a completely different life form and then it could be maybe different aspects which are missing here. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with what <coughs> Richard said. I think at least, at least psychologically we feel that we, we discover things in mathematics, but the there certainly is an element of um, invention. I mean, for example, when the introduction of the concept of zero, for example, uh, was something where you could maybe say that was an invention, or you take, you take things which are more, to some extent, organizing, uh, ways of organizing knowledge, like, for example, the ideas of the concept of a sheaf or something, which was introduced and then you could prove things that could be proved before, but in much more in a much um, uh, in a much much uh, shorter and more efficient way. So I think I think there certainly is an element of um, invention. Uh, and as Jacob says, I think we, we can we can at least imagine that there will be parts of the universe where physically it will be quite different, where maybe space is discrete, and so there's no notion of measurement and geometry in the sense that we have. But I, so. But I think, um, yeah, anything, anything more digital, based upon whole numbers, we could say that must be universal. So. Well, I'm sure some physicists will disagree with your point that discrete parts of the universe are uh, possible. But, but on, that, on, on that subject, uh, um, uh, Eugene Wigner uh, famously said that uh, uh, there's this unreasonable effectiveness of mathematics in describing uh, the universe. So, um, Richard, why do you think that the universe is described by mathematical laws? Uh, 
I have no idea, but Terry, when we were discussing this earlier, had a very good answer, so I, I defer to Terry. <laughs> Well, one possible uh, mathematical explanation for why the universe, I think, so Einstein once said that the most incomprehensible thing about the universe is that it is comprehensible. Um, and, you know, a priori, you know, um, there could be laws of nature at the molecular level, uh, which when you see them macroscopically, uh, uh, it would just be so complicated that you would not see any of the, of the, of the patterns that you saw at, at, the, uh, um, at small scales coming up macroscopically. But uh, in mathematics, there is this, this great phenomenon of, of universality, that, um, that if you have a, a complex system, uh, many times it doesn't even matter uh, almost what the individual particles are doing uh, in, in the system. Um, the, the macroscopic limit will, will, will be a universal law, which is almost independent. Um, like laws of thermodynamics are basically the same for both classical and quantum uh, states of matter, for instance. Um, and so that is perhaps a mathematical explanation. So even before we understand, so we know we don't have a full understanding of physics at um, uh, below the atomic scale yet. I mean, we're, we're getting closer, but it's still not complete. Um, but still, you know, we 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 we, uh, we we can understand macroscopic things like like continuous media, and so forth. And and, and um, I think uh, universality as a mathematical phenomenon is one of the explanations of that. Maxim, you got the prize in physics, so you you have to uh, you have to <laughs> you have yeah. to know the answer here. Mm, yeah, not to, to, to this question. Yeah, no, I really don't know. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, no, no. What Terry explained, it's only kind of uh, mathematics uh, uh, applicable to uh, large-scale physics. But why it's quantum mechanics, I found completely incredible. I think it's a good sign that we are just computer simulation or some mathematical constructs at the end of the day. So uh, the quantum mechanics, it's a really impossible object, and I have very strong philosophical explanation for this because I believe in vector spaces. Vector space is something strictly additive, and it's impossible because it's invention of mathematicians. Vector additivity, when, uh, it's kind of limiting object process. When you have tangent space, you live infinitely long time to measure probability and so on. So, uh, so, so I cannot really believe that nature can really vector space. It should be manifold. Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, so it's something <laughs> completely incredible, yeah. I'm baffled. <laughs> so you um, do you really believe that we can be living in the simulation? Yeah, I think I think we are actually not real. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is definitely one of the explanations of the uh, Fermi paradox, yeah. if 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 that's the case. But uh, uh, do you think there is any way to uh, prove that we are uh, or are not living in a simulation? Or you think yeah, we'll never no, be able yeah, to no, do that? I read it, maybe crazy. For example, people measure this as, uh, high, if you consider uh, frequency of signals, this kind of very sharp bound, which may be the size of digital approximation. <laughs> yes, I had this conversation, incidentally, a couple of weeks ago with Elon Musk, and he yeah. said that um, uh, when uh, is the time to switch off the simulation? And... Uh, the, uh, his, uh, his theory was that uh, when the people who are simulated will discover that they are simulated, then this is really the, this, yeah. this would be a good time to, to, to terminate. So. Yeah, and of course I've read some science fiction where every, eventually it's, it's, it's clear that science fiction, every civilization will realize it's their simulation, but it's the case of the common religion about all civilization. And <laughs>
Okay, <laughs> let's stop it here. <laughs> this is nonsense. Yeah. Okay, so I think I should be asking the next question here. Um, and the next one is uh, um, really about the uh, unity of math. Uh, so Isaac Newton wrote, uh, truth is ever to be found in simplicity and not in the multiplicity and confusion of things. Uh, so my question is, are there different fields of mathematics hiding a simpler system that we cannot see yet? In other words, like physicists are always seeking unification, is there any way that mathematics can be uh, unified in a way that there will be nothing else to discover? I, I don't think there's going to be one theory of all of mathematics. Uh, mathematics concerns such different things. It concerns the whole numbers, which is essentially a discrete phenomenon. It concerns uh, manifolds, which are essentially continuously varying objects. Well, but what is very surprising is the number of times an idea in one area of mathematics suddenly resonates in another. So although I don't think you're going to have one law for all of mathematics, the, the not knowing about lots of areas of mathematics is very helpful as a mathematician because you get these surprising interactions between the different areas. Well, the slightly contradicts so what, what physicists think, that because they're really truly looking for the theory of everything all the time, and you are saying that this mathematical discovery quest will never end. Yeah, I can't imagine mathematics coming to an end somehow. Every time you discover something new, it raises new questions. Uh, so I don't, I don't see it as a finite activity. I think you have to distinguish between the, the foundations of a science, where you, you want to work out the fundamental rules of, 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 of the game, and, and then the, the, the theoretical applications of those rules. Um, and I think mathematics is much further along in the foundational aspect. You know, um, by the time we Hilbert, we had already worked out the, the, uh, a common set of axioms that would, that would uh, suffice for pretty much all the mathematics. Um, and in physics, we're getting close to that. I mean, the, the, the theory of everything is, is meant to be, I think, the analog of, of, of the mathematical, of our modern foundations of mathematics, which are, which are now pretty much uncontested. Um, but, but that hasn't stopped mathematics. You know, it's the applications on top of the foundations, which, which is still expanding um, and will, will never end. Um, so we, the physicists, I think, even if they do find a final theory of every, everything, um, you know, then they have to apply it, each one of, you know, to, 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 to solids, to, to plasmas, whatever, and, and that will keep going for a long time. But uh, are we talking about a set of um, interconnected areas and nothing is more fundamental than the other, or something is more fundamental? <laughs> uh, well, I, I, um, it's probably we shouldn't prejudge what is the most fundamental area of mathematics. I mean, it, it, this will change over time. Um, right, uh, yeah, there are areas of mathematics that, that didn't exist 100 years ago, which are absolutely fundamental now. You know, like modern algebraic geometry is completely abstract. There's so no, no counterpart until, until the 20th century. Um, yeah, so I think it's premature to, to, to decide. Check. I would agree with what Terry just said. I think that um, the analog of the problem of finding a small set of principles from which you can understand everything in mathematics is largely a solved problem and has been so for 100 years or so. We have a 
small number of you know, axioms from which we can you know, build all of the mathematics that we know today. And it's, uh, searching to replace that is maybe not what most of mathematics is concerned with now. It's um, okay, so that brings me to the question of uh, the fragmentation of, uh, of math. So there is this famous uh, ABC conjecture that has been described as the most important unsolved problem uh, in Diophantine analysis. In 2012, uh, Shinichi Mochizuki published a proof, but it runs 500 pages, written in mostly new symbolic language. And uh, it is in the, at least in the popular literature they say that uh, two years later, no one really knows if this conjecture has been proved or not. So my question is, uh, irrespective of whether that is correct or not, do you think that there will be more and more cases in the future that somebody will come up with uh, an important proof which uh, other people will take a long time to either confirm or disprove? No. <laughs> Already, there were some famous, there were some results in, in kind of graph theory, which only the author was able to understand, and it was published by a journal where nobody knows who the referee. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, no, no, it's happened. Yeah, that something as important as the ABC important. conjecture. Yeah. In the end, people will get to the bottom of whether it's true. It might take a couple of years. Yeah. And, and I think the example of the ABC conjecture is a bad one because I think there are other reasons in this case. It's written in a very strange way, not in the usual way that mathematicians write things. That's put off other people reading it. And I don't think that's for any necessary, it's not for a mathematical reason, it's just the style that Shin Moshizuki chose to write in. Um, maybe a better example is the Perelman's proof of the Poincare conjecture. That was written in a normal mathematical way. Perelman was willing to answer questions. And it took mathematicians a couple of years, but they were, but it, lots of people worked on it and quickly became, well, within a couple of years, became verified. No, there are really examples of complicated proofs, and for example, algebraic geometers almost all uh, trusted resolution of singularities, and very few really studied the proof here, because it now became human accessible. But for uh, when it started, it was really trust, yeah, I think it, yeah, it's people. But, but some did, I mean, if yeah, some just did. Arc, I mean, yeah. we, we certainly don't all verify every yeah. the proof of every theorem we use, but we trust that if a number of good people with a good track record have studied it. And there are people who work in formal verification. Yeah. They, they, they take complicated theorems, you know, let's say the Phi-Thompson theorem, yeah, and, and you know, they, they do convert it into, yeah, sure. into computer verifiable. Yeah. So. I'd also say this is not a particularly new phenomenon. Like 150 years ago, the Riemann mapping theorem, stated by Riemann, an inadequate proof was provided. It was, you know, something which is important in complex analysis, and it didn't get sorted out for more than 50 years. Uh, also, I would say that... But did he pr actually provide the proof? He provided a proof which was inadequate. Um, yeah. And would say that uh, this... The question of whether or not something has been proved, maybe that is a question that can be answered yes or no, but even once there is a proof, in the case of a very complicated proof, 
really isn't the end of the story. If there's a 500-page proof of something and it's important enough that people are going to read it, they're going to process it. They're going to find simplifications, hopefully dramatic simplifications. And uh, this is one of the ways that mathematics moves forward. And this is maybe an activity which is undervalued in the culture of mathematics, the act activity of cleaning up uh, very complicated stories and rendering them comprehensible to the rest of the mathematical world. I should also say that often um, when there's a breakthrough, I mean, it may be a 100-page paper, but, but if it's a really important, if it's a really good piece of mathematics, often um, um, you don't have to read the whole 100 pages to realize that something, something really good is happening. Um, that, uh, for example, Perlman's uh, proof of point gray conjecture, um, within the first five pages, uh, there, was, there were these new monotonicity formulas, there was a new way of thinking about Ricci flow. There were lots of, of new ideas already in the first few pages that, that got people very excited even before they had digested the rest of the argument. That something very original was happening and something potentially very, uh, very useful. I think that's very important. I, mean, uh, I think to a large extent, people don't, if you have a but one doesn't read a mathematical paper, what one gets is the idea to reconstruct the argument. So it's, it's, it's not that people, generally speaking, would be checking a proof in the sense of checking the logic line by line. They would go and extract the fundamental idea. That, well, that's really the essential thing, I think, to point to make. Terence, and you said that there are certain people that basically go uh, and look at every proof, and they then uh, design a computer model that that should prove it uh, well, not, with the help of the computer. Uh, not every proof. Uh, we, we, uh, the, the computer um, verification is, is nowhere near uh, at a automated stage that we can just sort of feed in, you know, journals and and and, and formalize everything. That um, uh, one day that may happen. I mean, you know, um, one day we may actually write uh, our, our, our papers not in LaTeX, or, but you know, in, in some language which which some smart um, uh, software will, will convert to a formal language. And every so often you get a compilation error. I get, I, you know, computer does not understand how you derive this step. And um, one, yeah. So so right now they're focusing uh, only on a select few sort of test um, theorems of, of of mathematical significance. Um, and do you think computer verification will get to that stage that? Uh, Basically, it will be able to verify every every new paper. Oh, I hope so. Several people working on it in several groups. Yeah. In some areas of mathematics, I think uh, yeah. you, can, you can do that almost already. Uh, yeah. I think others are more. Yeah. Yeah. Like anything which is very visual with diagrams, and so some some parts of mathematics are hard. But does it mean that if the computer will be able to verify, then it will also be able to come up with new ideas? No, it's it's BMP problem yet. Yeah. Um, not necessarily, but uh, computers can certainly be useful for other things. Um, for example, already um, there's this database called the Online Encyclopedia of Integer Sequences. Um, and it's every time a mathematician just discovers an, an interesting new, new sequence, they often enter it in this database. And sometimes there's a match uh, with the previous um, sequence entered by somebody else. And, and, and from this database, uh, a lot of new mathematics has been discovered, uh, a lot of unexpected connections. Um, so that is certainly one way in which a computer can help uh, suggest conjectures, for instance. Um. Also, somebody made, but it's not an infant instance stage, a database of interesting real numbers. Mm -hmm. If you have something like 100 digit number. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It, it's not something I know anything about, really, but perhaps the, the classification of finite simple groups would be a, an interesting case where to have the proof verified by a computer, because it is something which might be amenable to that, and it's a, it is an enormous 
Definitely. proof that would be, I see that enormous be an theorem. interesting test case. 10,000 pages long currently. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what, one fragment of that, the Fight-Thompson theorem, is 200 pages long. That, that has been formalized. Yes. Um, so that's 2% of the job done. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, uh, that brings me uh, to a specific question for you, Terence, that uh, short of like getting computers proving everything, you designed the project that at least is trying to put a few human minds together. It's called um, Polymath. Uh, and can you elaborate on how important do you think the uh, collective intelligence is in uh, mathematics going forward? Uh, so, I guess, first of all, the Polymath projects were not invented by me, but by uh, Timothy Gowers uh, four years ago. But I did run one of the most recent ones. Um, and I'll talk about it, in fact, uh, after, after the, the, uh, the lunch break. Um, so this is a very interesting new, new paradigm for doing mathematics. So not just one or two people working in, in isolation, which is the, the conventional model. Um, but yeah, really crowdsourcing, trying to, to um, uh, collaborate with people who you might not think of as, as natural people to, um, to, to work on a project. Um, I think at present, this is still a very limited model. There's only certain types of mathematical problems for which uh, you can really break it up into small pieces that different uh, people can work on. Um, but uh, I think we, this is, this, well, there'll be more of this in the future. I mean, the sciences already have lots of big collaborative projects. I mean, they're, they're, they're way ahead of us in, in, uh, in that respect. Um, and uh, I, I think this, uh, you'll see a lot more, maybe not necessarily polymath, but a lot more um, uh, uh, projects where, where hundreds of, or, or tens of, of mathematicians are, are working. Um, and what was the what was the most significant example of uh, something being collectively solved, and how many people participated so far? Um, okay, so um, there was the first polymath project where we had to um, where we found um, a, a new combinatorial proof of a very difficult theorem, um, and that maybe had two dozen people working for about two or three months. Um, and we, we, we found a, a proof that was, that was a lot simpler, gave much better bounds than the previous proofs that appeared in the annals. Um, the most recent thing, a project that concluded uh, also about two dozen people, that ran for about a year, who we were improving this bound and prime gaps. Uh, oh, you'll hear about it uh, after lunch. Um, so there, uh, the breakthrough had been done by, uh, by an individual mathematician, Yi Tang Zhang, last year, but we had we greatly simplified his method, made it much more efficient. We, we now understand exactly what the limitations are of, of, of his technique. Um, so it's, it's not yet a, um, sort of these, these, these online um, massively collaborative projects are not so great for producing the initial breakthrough, um, but for refining an existing breakthrough and, and, and clarifying it, uh, it, it actually seemed to work quite well. As I understand that particular case, there was this polymath project that improved things, but while that was going on, an individual or two individuals, Maynard and, and maybe you, Terry, had more fundamental insights outside of this project, which actually did far better than the collaborative project. Uh, right, I'll talk about, um, <laughs> this, is, this is true, um, that uh, we, while we were improving uh, the original argument of Zhang, yeah, there, was, there was a separate breakthrough um, made by individuals, okay. Um, but then later we combined forces, actually, and, and we incorporated uh, this, this, this new idea into our, our project, and, and now we have a bound which is, which is, which is, best, which is better than, than either of the two. So you, you need a mix. I mean, not, not every 
a piece of research in the future will be done by individuals. Not everyone will be done by massive groups. We, we, need, we need both. Can you imagine a massive group making a fundamental breakthrough? Um, yeah, perhaps not with our current paradigm, but it's uh, uh, maybe with a, with a different model. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. I think there's actually a smooth transition uh, when some of those 12 individuals would be computers, and you will not know that they're computers. <laughs> and then there will be just more of them and more of them. And, uh, and that's how this thing's going to happen. So, Jacob, what, what do you think about it? <laughs> I'm not no, going to wait. Mean, I'm talking about collaborative uh, rather than individual. Um, I don't think most of the mathematics that I have been involved with uh, a massively collaborative effort would have been helpful. But uh, I can easily imagine that there are examples where it could be. And, and uh, are you, Terry, involved in this project right now? Um, there's no currently active polymath project um, right now. I'm kind of exhausted after one year of moderating the previous one. Uh, and, and this is actually one bottleneck, is that there's not many people who are willing to, 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 to run these things for a long period of time. Um, but uh, uh, sometimes we react to events. Um, so um, another thing that the polymath projects are good for is actually proof checking. This is something we mentioned earlier. There was uh, a few years ago uh, a claim proof of P equals NP that we actually set up a polymath project to check the proof line by line, and unfortunately it turned out to, to, to fall apart. Um, but this is this is one place where a massively collaborative uh, effort can actually be quite uh, quite efficient. Um. Yes, yeah, so I, I, I really wanted to uh, uh, ask this question about computers. We, we already uh, have been discussing it for a while. But uh, you, you do imagine the, uh, maybe in, in 100 years or 1,000 years that, uh, um, like it happened in chess when computers took over and uh, humans are still playing the tournaments, but everybody knows that computers are better. So, <laughs> uh, so, so do, do, is it conceivable uh, for you that uh, this will happen to mathematics? Um, I think computers will make our, we can do, we'll be able to do things much more efficiently with the right computer tools. Um, so, for example, you know, with search engines now, uh, if, you, if you type in a, a search query um, into, into Google, say, uh, uh, often it'll come back, you know, did you mean this? Right? And, and, often, and often you did. Um, and one can imagine, you know, if you have a, a really good computer assistant, you know, you're, you're working on some, some, some math problem, it will keep suggesting, you know, should you do this? Have you, have you considered looking at this paper? Um, and, and you could imagine this would really speed up actually, um, uh, the way we do research. Um, you know, sometimes you, you, you are stuck for, for many months because you just don't know a key trick that is buried in some other field, field of expertise. But you know, if, 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 uh, if some sort of advanced Google or something can, can suggest this to you. Um, so I, I think computers, I mean, we will use computers you know, to, do, to, to do things much more efficiently than we, than we can currently do, but it will still be humans you know, um, driving the show, I'm pretty sure. Maxim, do you imagine yeah, anything like that perfectly, happening? I think it's perfectly possible, in, maybe in our lifetime, yes. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. So why, why do you think so? 
No, I don't think it's, uh, it's to make artificial intelligence, it's, it's uh, very hard and so on. I think it just, it will be pretty soon, I suppose. Yeah, that's, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we uh, will have done a problem with the prize, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm just thinking about it. <laughs> I'm thinking about two things. One is splitting among, you know, hundreds of people, and then uh, another one is giving to a program. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, uh, you are sort of a contrarian here, in sure. a way. Uh, you are a contrarian here, saying that it will happen so quickly. So what makes you so optimistic? Yeah. Optimistic? No, it's actually pessimistic. I would say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, it's kind of also, I thought myself a little bit about, no, I don't think there's really fundamental difficulties, yes, it's... it's uh, and well, why, why wouldn't you just work on that, because this is... A, no, no, a, no, I think it's, yeah, it's, I think it will be immoral to work on that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 I, I mean, I'm no expert on it, but isn't the, the way the computer played chess not really very intelligent. It, it, yes, it's yes, a huge yes, combinatorial yeah, check. Yeah, and no, inventing true. the sort of mathematics you've invented, that's not yeah, sure, yeah, no, no. combinatorial checking. It's entirely yeah. conceptual. Yeah, is, okay, is there sure. any case we know of computers doing anything mm, like that? We don't know examples, but it's, I, don't, I don't see it's not inconceivable. Yeah, just, it's, it's not <laughs> inconceivable, but I... <laughs> yeah. But I would be very surprised if we saw a computer winner Fields Medal in our lifetime. <laughs> well, the well, one could imagine that a computer could, could, could discover just by brute force a connection between two fields of mathematics that uh, wasn't suspected. That, that's more likely. Yes. Um, and then uh, the, uh, the person on the computer would actually be able to, to flush it out. Yeah. Maybe he'll collect the medal. Okay. <laughs> the, 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 the problem Fields Medal is this 40 uh, year old threshold, so how would you sort of. <laughs> So, Jacob, are you um, sort of terrified a little bit uh, with what Maxim is saying, or you are yeah. kind of uh, cool uh, about that? I, I think I'm, I'm not too worried. I, <laughs> <laughs> a thousand years, hard to imagine yeah. what any of us are going to be doing. Or yeah. well, us, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, actually, Kolmogorov thought uh, that mathematics will, will be extinct in 100 years. He had estimate, yeah, because he really kind of number of neurons, collections, and, and he cannot make the head more than something like one, one cubic meter and so on. Because, yeah, so it was his kind of uh, maybe crazy estimate, but he was also thinking about natural <laughs> boundaries. Well, on that note, I wanted to maybe uh, uh, open this for some questions. Uh, uh, they can be philosophical or more specific, but I think we're ending on a high note here. So, any uh, any questions? Yeah, I would like to ask the uh, panelists what if, if they could uh, suggest if they could suggest some improvements to computer math software or computer-aided um, computational tools of any kind that could really have the greatest potential for moving forward research mathematics uh, in the sense of humans working with computers and computers discovering and fleshing out details. 
what what would be the most uh, useful development here? You know, one thing I would wish for, I don't know if it's, I think it's not still within current capability, is, is um, really smart semantic search for uh, a mathematical concept. Like if, if you have like, um, um, if, you, if, if you have some cute lemma, for example, that you just proved and you want to know, is there something like this in the literature? Uh, you can try typing in what you just did into Google. Uh, and this usually does not, uh, unless it's, uh, you have exactly the right keywords, uh, uh, you usually don't get something uh, very, uh, uh, very accurate, but if if you had a very smart search engine that could that could um, detect when two mathematical statements were similar, um, then um, having that drawn to your attention would be quite useful, I think. If we're talking about computer-assisted proofs, then it seems to me that the main obstacle is user friendliness. If you want this to become part of the culture of mathematics, that when you submit a paper, you also have to submit a computer verification that what you proved in the paper is correct, I think it's very unlikely that this will become part of the culture of mathematics. But if you wanted to, then what you need is computer assistance that mathematicians are actually willing to use so that it doesn't take a hundred times as long to provide that certificate as it does to write a mathematics paper the usual way. What we're, I mean, what we're talking about, it's not exactly this question, but I, we're talking about computers in mathematics. I think it, we really should say they have already had an enormous effect. I mean, mostly as experimental tools. So the discovery of the Birch, Swinnett and Dyer conjecture by Brown Birch and Peter Swinnett and Dyer in the, I think the 1950s, with very early computers, they did, while knowing a lot of number theory, they did enormous amount of computation and came up with this conjecture nobody expected to be true and it completely changed the direction in which number theorists were working for now 60 years or something. Um, Andrew Disco computed the zeros of the Riemann zeta function and saw patterns that connected it with random matrix theory again had enormous effect on analytic number theory so computers as an experimental tool have have already had an enormous impact as a theorem proving tool, so far it hasn't, and we disagree about the likelihood that it will, but they certainly are of crucial importance in mathematics. Tim Gowers right now is working with, um, uh, I think, an artificial intelligence um, um, person to, to actually create a smart theorem prover that, uh, that doesn't use brute force, but, but really sort of uses um, human-style problem-solving techniques. Um, so apparently they, they, can, they can get to the level now of, of, of a of a bad undergraduate topology student. Um, <laughs> that, um, that, you know, given a, so you have a, some very restricted language, like, like say uh, metric spaces. You want to prove that say the union of two open sets is open or something, and they can actually find a proof, um, but not not by brute force, but by by, by trying sort of sort of um, just sort of standard moves. But but that's when a human has already created the field of topology and the key notions, and then it becomes right. a sort of symbol playing game almost. Right, right. So that's where they're at right now. But yeah, so but there's there's some there's some work in this direction. Um, could you comment on the making of a mathematician? Would you uh, say it's motivation, training, mentorship, luck, wiring, genetics? Uh, what what is it that distinguishes uh, the mathematicians up there? All those things. <laughs> yeah, it's very diverse, actually. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. So the it's you know the the the, uh, the stereotype is is, a, is is someone who's who has mathematical talent at a very early age, 
Um, but, and uh, I guess you know, so, so I, I myself was accelerated as a child, for instance. But certainly not not uh, not everyone is like that in mathematics, and not necessarily the, the best people in mathematics are not necessarily the ones who who were, uh, showed early signs of mathematical ability. Um, some came in the field quite late and, and made really important contributions. Um, let me try to answer for Maxim. Uh, it doesn't matter because it's a simulation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what, what is your uh, no, 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 this, uh, no, I think actually everybody can do mathematics. You just have to learn. And I mean, I just thought like 5% of populations are dyslexics. And I said, do I, do I know dyslexic mathematicians? And I think I know yeah, some really great mathematicians who even show formula. You can, and you... Uh, <laughs> And here the conversation stops. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so it's quite possible. Sometimes it's an advantage. Like you know, if you, you can't think, of, you can't visualize things in a certain way. You, you develop other mental faculties. Yeah. To um, yeah, as Terry said, mathematicians are an extremely diverse yeah. group of people. I mean, somebody like Thurston apparently just saw things geometrically in his head. Other people almost entirely symbol manipulation. Some people are combinatorially quick and fast, which is extremely helpful. Other people try and think conceptually or uniquely. So Simon, what do you think? Uh, is this a formula? There are several different ways of thinking about mathematics. and Some people can do both, but both very well. But most, a lot of people primarily do. I, I, I primarily think visually, not kind of combinatorial and symbolically, but other people are quite different. And uh, if, uh, if I will ask uh, each one of you, can you name three greatest mathematicians of all time? <laughs> <laughs> of course, the first one has an advantage, so if... <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> let's, let's say not living today. <laughs> Simpli simplify it. <laughs> I mean, there are standard answers. Gauss, Euler, uh, Hilbert, maybe. Um, <laughs> now it's getting harder. <laughs> so, Terry, what is it? It's uh, the same. Yeah, we, we, in our coffee room, uh, common room at UCLA, we, we have this, this, this standard tableau. I think it's uh, five methods. I think it's, 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 it's Fermat, Euler, uh, Newton, Gauss, Hilbert. And then it stops, uh, actually. Including um, Newton. Yeah. Uh, you said Newton? Yeah, okay. you, have the, you have the same uh, five pictures. Yeah. Um, well, it, it's, it gets difficult after a while because um, by, by Hilbert's time, actually, mathematics had expanded to, to the point where it was, uh, it was no longer possible for one mathematician to really cover all mathematics. And Hilbert was maybe the last, maybe von Neumann. Um, but uh, yes, and after that, I think it's really personal taste. You know, I mean, um, yeah. So, Jacob, what are your favorite three? I don't want to touch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah Suri, I think we are already named here, yeah, so it's, yeah. Because the more no, but think, no, you're alive, yeah. No, you ask, uh, 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 yes, I guess he's alive, but, <laughs> but, but, but retired, sorry. Yeah. Simon, do you agree with the all? I, I, I would vote for Riemann myself. In my, one striking thing about Riemann is that his collected works are about 100 pages, but his influence has been sort of in, in not unparalleled, I would say. So it's, it's and what are the other two? I'm sorry? And the other two? 
them more? Oh, two more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, in my own kind of punk array, in my own area, it's the, I don't know. Um, yeah. Father-son team in, in, in mathematical history. I think the, the answer is Gauss and his father. Question more to Maxim. Maxim mentioned that quantum theory was an uh, example when mathematics go first and precede discovery of real like new nature of uh, quantum nature of world and would you imagine that something similar may happen uh, based on the contemporary mathematics like algebraic geometry uh, exact solutions you, because this is fascinating connection between algebraic geometry and exact solutions of physical equations well, described 20 years expected to go from string theory calabiaus okay yeah but that's exactly what they expected, no, yeah, but... No, no, I think yeah. beyond string theory, beyond string, because there are exact mm -hmm. solutions which relate to algebraic, yeah. through algebraic <coughs> geometry to, like, theta function, uh, and uh, exact solutions which you can touch by, just by geometry, uh, some imaginary, uh, by imagination, and, and then get, maybe you can think to predict something, new discoveries in the future which will uh, open more deeper understanding of nature like like quantum theory it was really sing singular event yeah no, no i would be surprised in fact yeah you uh, know it would be surprised yeah it would be surprised i think nature should be the end of the non-mathematical yeah so it's, it's kind of it's too much of mathematics yeah, yeah. thank you the modern stage thank you. yeah, yeah. There was a brief mention of uh, foundations in the earlier discussion. I was wondering if anyone uh, would be willing to comment about the, uh, their thoughts, opinions, about the prospects for uh, the Univail Foundations program and whether that is a contender for uh, changing these things. And, oh. <laughs> um, no comment. <laughs> person need to ask is not sitting here. Maybe all up to the discussion about uh, computer verified proofs. Is, is anyone too, uh, willing to bet against the, uh, the short time scale, like 25 years, for uh, that being widespread use in mathematics? Oh, I'm, I'll take that. <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> yeah, okay. Widespread in some field, maybe, uh, at least. Yeah. Maybe one last question. Uh, so my question to all the panelists is, you are all celebrated mathematicians. What's your best advice for us uh, aspiring young mathematicians? Pick something you're interested in and give it a lot of thought. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ask yourself really dumb questions. Like, don't, don't just take a, a fact of mathematics as received knowledge. Just always question it and uh, see if you can do better. Can you make an example of you asking dumb questions and doing well? <laughs> well, it, I mean, this happens long before you actually work on a research problem. Is when you're learning the subject, um, like, you know, you, 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 you learn a certain lemma is true for all, I don't know, 
say, sigma finite algebras or something. What, 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 what is not sigma finite? Or why do you have to prove things this way? Can you prove things using some other tool? Um, you'd always keep playing tinkering right, with, with, uh, uh, with the mathematics you have. Maxim, what's your advice? Yeah, just to learn really different areas of mathematics, it's, yeah, it's very important. Then you see analogy and it, yeah. Go to talks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, within limits. I mean, you, you, you can go wrong by trying to learn too many areas of mathematics and understanding none of them. <laughs> At least, <laughs> in my own life, I try to do one. <laughs> Simon, what's your advice? Uh, make sure you're doing what you like doing. I mean, there's nothing worse than... So you've got to really want to... <laughs> but have a passion for what you're doing. I think that's the, 